part of the problem. If you're buying your shit on Groupon, it's probably not sustainable. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Groupon's not 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 known for its boutique selection. Yeah. It's, it's all mass market <laughs> shit on there. <laughs> everybody welcome back to comes with baggage this is caitlin and this is chris reporting to you live from i'm wearing only a towel today <laughs> wait like you're really naked i mean i've got a towel on so i'm not completely naked but i thought i should warn people just in case they're listening and they're like why am i weirdly aroused and now they know it's this. <laughs> it's, it's 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 hot here and i just had a shower and i can't be asked putting clothes the nudity on. through the exactly yeah yeah <laughs> they're just listening at home and they're like this is weird this is a strangely erotic podcast today and now they know why so i've just band-aided that for them to make it less awkward oh god um <laughs> well i am clothed guys sorry <laughs> i feel like it would be weird if we were both recording naked oh i feel like you guys should also know that we don't video record so i can't see that he's only in a towel <laughs> oh god that would be that would be really weird and inappropriate <laughs> well it's I know for you guys, like we've, you've, we've been here, you know, every week, but I've actually been on vacation for about two weeks. I've been away. Chris, you were busy doing stuff. So this is like a reunion for us this week. Yeah. It's been like two weeks since we actually spoke, uh, because we recorded a few episodes before you went away, but now we're back on schedule. We're back to, you know, relative normalcy. Yeah. We have uh, so much to catch up on. I know. Let's, let's launch right into it. How yeah. was your trip? What did you get up to? Uh, you went to Croatia and Ireland, right? Yes, it was amazing. Um, flew to Croatia, got there, literally whirlwind, like see everybody that I haven't seen in three years in one night. Um, <laughs> and then the next day, uh, me and a couple of my guy friends went to, I had rented a house, you know, on that little island. And I was so jet lagged and I was sleeping in the back of the car. We get halfway there. We're driving there. We get halfway there. And my friend Tristan, who's driving, realizes he had the keys to the bar or the bar storage or something in his pocket. So we had to turn around and drive all the way back to Split. (laughs) And then (laughs) drive again. So a drive that should have taken like an hour and a half took us like three and a half hours. Good start. Inauspicious start. Yeah. But I told the boys, like, I'll pay for the house and you guys are in charge of all of the food and the alcohol and everything um and we get there and they've brought nine bottles of liquor for two nights and no food <laughs> well you know i mean i'm sure there's some sort of sustenance inside vodka and tequila <laughs> yeah uh there was lots of vodka lots of tequila whiskey and gin they had it all oh. Um, oh god my heart my stomach just is like roiling at the thought of that much alcohol yeah we went through five bottles the first day and night and four bottles the second day and night damn between the four, three of us but they that definitely in. drank more than me but i still drank way too much um but it was so much fun it was so relaxing it was so nice to be away from work and my phone and just enjoying the sea and yeah it was beautiful and then um, after Croatia, went back to, flew to Ireland and so many delays getting there, got there at like three in the morning, had to immediately drive to this town that my friend was getting married at. Um, obviously as I announced on the last episode, I'm moving to London Yeah. at the end of this month. And a lot of my friends that were at this wedding are all London friends. Oh, awesome. So it was really nice because it was like, you know, getting excited, like seeing them talking about when I moved there, all the things we're going to do. So that was really exciting. Um, And then after the wedding, came back to Dublin. And, you know, we released an episode a couple back on relationships best before it was called. Expiration dating. Uh Meeting people while traveling. Um, Well, one of the people that I happened to mention in that episode (laughs) listened to that episode (laughs) and ended up flying to Ireland to come see me. Yeah, it was. That's a grand romantic gesture right there. (laughs) It was, it was. I mean, he is also doing a big trip around the UK, so it wasn't like he was just flying from Australia to see me and then flying back. That takes some of the pressure off. Yeah, (laughs) but it it definitely was a very, very lovely gesture, and we had a great three days. He met my mom and my friends and stuff, and they all seemed to like him, apparently. (laughs) 
way to put his mind at ease if he's listening. He's like, apparently. <laughs> no, shit. they loved him. They loved him. He's actually, I guess he's going because he's now in the UK. Um, he's going to hang out with them in London. And I was like, oh, that's cool. I think and that's weird like, for you. No, well, it's great. Like, I mean, people go and hang out with my mom all the time. Like all my friends, like whenever they're in the UK, they go to my parents' house and like hang out and without me there it's fine um it's for me it's more just the like i told him i was like if you go at the party and like hang out with them like i just don't want to see it i was like i love it like i love that you guys are all gonna hang out but also it'll just make me super jealous that i'm not there yeah it's like all your favorite people in one space and you're exactly. like at your desk at work <laughs> or at your bar i guess yeah exactly um no but it was very very nice and we had a great time but then of course like that episode, I'm back into this like, okay, but we live in some uh, days. Um, still a nice, a nice memory to have though. I mean, uh, it could have been so me wonderful. and I, if, if one of my, if one of the two relationships I mentioned on, on the episode chased me down, I think that'd have been some sort of stabbing related wound to me. <laughs> um, not to them, but I, I can't imagine it ending any way other than violence uh, against me. So I'm glad it happened to you and not me. No, yeah. No, it was amazing. And uh, I'm sure we'll see each other. Like, you know, it had been three years since we'd seen each other. So Damn. it just means that, you know, now the clock starts over and <laughs> it won't be as much time, hopefully, between the next time. But you must have left a hell of an impression, though. Three years and he's like, I'm going to fly over to Ireland and see you. <laughs> Well, I'll take that as a compliment. <laughs> yeah, I think I think that's the only way to take it. <laughs> um, yeah, no, it was it was good. Um, but it was so funny because, of course, as I mentioned in that episode that we did as well, like my love language is like words of affirmation. Mm-hmm. I'm fine with not not that this is going to be a relationship right now because we do live in two different countries and like who knows what the future holds for us. But my love language, whatever is like words of affirmation. And if I don't mm-hmm. have that, like reassurance that you actually like me, I go insane in my mind. <laughs> yep. And, I, understand. Um, I can understand that. So when I came back, when I was flying back, like he's with his friend, he's traveling. I'm, you know, coming back to real life and kind of having that like post travel depression as well. Like I was sad to come home. I was sad to leave everybody. Like mind is not exactly in the happiest of places. And then of course I'm mm-hmm. like spinning myself out how does he feel now? Like, what does this mean for now? And I'm like, uh-huh. drove loss myself, of control. yeah, drove myself crazy. And then spoke to him and he was like, stop, <laughs> knock it off. <laughs> like, Got to bandaid that shit. We're yeah. fine. <laughs> and, um, no, we had a nice chat and we're good. And yeah, we'll see what happens in the future. Um, nice. but it was, it was exciting. And it's so, I just find it hilarious that he listened to It was to like inspired episode. by the episode. Yeah. <laughs> That's really cool. Yeah. But that's about all that's updated with me. I'm back now and I have a few weeks here and then I moved to London to start my new job. Putty going on. I just got my contract. So it's like official, official. Shit. And how about you? What did you do with your two weeks off from podcasting? Uh, one week was pretty much just business as usual, but uh, my better half and I just finished filming an episode of House Hunters International. So that was fun. We did like a five-day shoot here in Hoi An, which was exhausting, but fun. That is so cool. You're going to be on TV. (laughs) And and you said it's like the American one, right? Yeah, so it's an American show, but uh, every episode is set outside of the States. So it's people, it doesn't matter where you're from, as long as you're settling somewhere outside of America. So Mm -hmm. in our case, it's Hoi An, but they do episodes in all over the world. Japan, Sydney, London. I watched one in London last night. Um... So yeah, it was really fun. Like they, you know, we saw some houses, we did a lot of activities and it's, it's weird because it's five days of full on shooting and it gets condensed into one like 22 minute episode. Yeah. <laughs> so it's weird to think that all that work will be like fine, like refined down into this tiny little nugget of that five days. Yeah. Uh, it was a lot of fun, but a lot of early starts, a lot of long days and uh yeah well, and you're not a morning forward to relax you're not a morning person either so how was that <laughs> no no i usually get up at like 10 a.m is when i start my day usually and we were starting at 6 30 uh so it was it was a tough adjustment but it's been good like uh i'm hoping i can keep that going for the next few weeks before we uh we're heading home uh for the wedding at the end of the month uh so i'm hoping i can sort of get a roll on and be more productive for these next couple of In weeks before all of the the chaos yeah. yeah well that's exciting when does the episode come out uh, three to six months. Uh, so I'm not sure exactly. They'll let me know and then I will let the universe know. And uh, if you've got HGTV, uh, which a lot of people do, 
uh, around the world, then it'll be on there at some point. And if you don't, it'll be on YouTube at some point until they take it down. <laughs> <laughs> Does Do you get to see it first? Like, do they send it... I believe they, they send it to us the day it airs. Okay. So, like, we'll get an emailed copy that we can watch in case we can't see HGTV, which we can't in Vietnam. Yeah. Um, and we can watch it and sort of show it to some of our friends. Um, but it's a really cool experience. Like, you know, it's it sort of gets gave us a chance to explore a town we love. Uh, mm-hmm. And actually, we went from being 100% certain we weren't coming back here next year uh, to being, like, 70% certain we're going to come back uh, <laughs> for a, another year or two. So... Because it was like we got to explore the city that we love again, but like almost as tourists, you know, because they were like, okay, so what sort of things do you do here? Like, do you have, so we went to a dance class. We took a boat out on the, on the river in Old Town. We did a cooking class, things that we either haven't done since we first got here or have been meaning to do. So it was really good to sort of re-immerse ourselves and get out of our bubble of being, you know, people who just work at a co-working space. Yeah. And actually Um, really enjoying and taking advantage of what the city has to offer. Yeah, so my poor brother's going to have whiplash because he's been planning to come back here next year in January and we went from, yeah, we'll be here to no, let's go to Bali to no, let's go to Chiang Mai to being like, hey, guess what? I think we're going to come back here again. So, um, yeah, we'll see what happens. Who knows? I might change my mind again. But at the moment, I think we're leaning towards being back here for another longer stint next year. Well, you guys have a lot going on. Things are always changing. You were going to be in Portugal and then you're in the UK and now I don't know where you're going to be. Could even be in Tanzania at some point. That's still up in oh, the yeah, air. Oh, so. yeah, that too. So, yeah, I'm not going to start planning anything yet. We're still going to, when we do, like, finally leave here, we'll still sell our stuff uh, that we can't store just because on the off chance we don't come back, it seems silly to have ovens and things yeah. stored at some poor stranger's house. So yeah. we'll play it by ear. But uh, it was really fun, uh, and uh, I'm looking forward to seeing, you know, how it, it all pans out when they finally cut it all together and make it into a an episode i know i can't wait to see it you'll definitely we'll definitely announce it on here guys when it's yeah we can we can talk a little bit about it uh, when it airs and people can send in questions if they have any about what it's like being on the show yeah well if you guys haven't already be sure to rate review and subscribe we've got a couple more um awesome reviews from people that we didn't know (laughs) which is always good (laughs) some constructive criticism some praise i think someone said they wanted to meet us which is nice yeah meet us for drinks Uh, i'm always down for drinks the tourist whisperer i think his name was so i am i'm down with that whenever you are in uh vietnam or (laughs) london or whichever of the many countries we (laughs) we call home we'll try and line that up we can have a couple of brews for sure yeah so we got some, some good some good reviews but if you haven't already make sure um, I do have a friend in France who has messaged me now three different occasions being like, I keep, I keep listening and I keep trying to review and for some reason there's something wrong with my iTunes and I can't. And I was my like, friend in a, yeah, I was like, that's fine. <laughs> like she's like really concerned that she can't leave a review and I'm like, it's okay. I was like, honestly, tell your friends about us. Cause she travels a lot too. And yeah. so I'm like, if you tell your friends about us and like, you know, just spread the word that we exist. Like that means That's enough to us as, as well. Yeah. My friend Clarissa's had the same problem. She sent me screenshots of her review with the error. So I know there are people out there who are trying to do to do the review thing for us, and iTunes is just not cooperating. Yeah, but we appreciate the effort, and um, you can always airdrop us to strangers, yeah. surreptitiously um, force us into someone else's ear holes, um, or just even tell your friends about it. Share it on your Instagram stories or on your Facebook, all that stuff. The more people that know about us, the more listeners we get and the bigger we get and the more we enjoy doing this. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so uh, shall we, without further ado, it and jump into this week's topic or do we have I missed some housekeeping? No, no, I think that's about it. Um, nice. Yeah, this week we are talking about over-tourism. Um, what it is, what causes it, what the effects of it are, and then how to be better um, to limit Which is a big, yeah, and this one's pretty near and dear to my heart, given that I live in a very popular tourist destination as we speak. Uh, Hoi An's hugely popular, um, and so I get to see sort of firsthand the effects of over-tourism and the frustrations it causes, and hopefully how they're working to curb that inevitable collapse when, you know, it reaches breaking point. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, um... I mean, I know, like, when I lived in, I mean, I lived in Cancun and split Croatia and both of those. Not as much Cancun anymore, but Tulum, when I would go down to Tulum, Tulum Mm -hmm. is definitely feeling it. 
Um, yeah, I'm sure everyone who's listening has visited a place where they were just like the crowds were awful, or it might even not have been the crowds. It might have been that it's it's like polluted, or there's a lot of garbage lying around, or there's just gridlocked traffic. Uh, it comes in many forms. Well, the like funny the thing idea of with Tulum is it's not even. Well, we'll get we'll get into it. We'll get into it. But let's first start off with like what it is. Um, obviously. So it's when there's too many visitors to a particular destination. So usually when a place gets, you know, suddenly popular, whether mm-hmm. it was in a TV show or a movie or is just like, you know, makes it on a bunch of lists as like the next big place to visit it, you know, all of a sudden there's that huge, huge surge of tourism that they're not exactly, they don't have the infrastructure to handle. Mm-hmm. Um, and then it causes, you know, rent prices to go up and it pushes out local tenants um out of this you know old towns usually to make you know way for rentals and yeah um hotels and things like that um that's what over tourism is and it has other effects as well like a lot of traditional industries will suffer because people see that there's money to be made in tourism so they make that jump which is understandable but that can mean that the local fishing or farming or any, whatever the local industry might have been prior to that popularity, it can really suffer. Um, and also it can lead to sort of feelings of ill will. So not everywhere, but there are places you'll go where they there's a distinct kind of separation between locals and, yeah. and visitors. And it can lead to violence. Um, you know, yeah. it can lead to clashes. It can lead to all sorts of, like it can lead to a rise in crime as well. Um, and then on top of that, it's obviously very bad for the sustainability of a place. Um, whether that comes in the form of all those tourists contributing to trash or damaging reefs by like accidentally kicking them while they're snorkeling, or it could even be that like a, a place overextends itself. So it builds more infrastructure than it ends up needing. It sees this rise in tourism, and so it starts building resorts and all this other infrastructure. And then when the tourism slows down or doesn't reach the peak that they expected, uh, it leaves this yawning hole. And a good example is uh, Sanya, which is like an island city in southern China. Beautiful beaches, by far the best beaches in China, which isn't high praise. But uh, there was this boom and they started building resorts all along the beaches. And of course, the tourism didn't measure up to the amount of investment they'd made. And now there's these half-finished resorts overgrown with, with vines and, and weeds. And yeah. uh, it's, it's weird to see. And it's obviously disheartening for locals who have, who have tried to make a go of it and then seen it fail. So there's a lot of And also lot of used to have spin-off. this beautiful blank beach that is now... <laughs> That like, is now covered in touts and para- guys selling paragliding tours and restaurants and bars. And I mean, here in Hoi An, Kwa Dai Beach was the beach until about five years ago when all the development got so bad that the beach literally washed away. Yeah. Um, like they, they did so much work on the, on the beach that uh, there's no beach there anymore. And so they had to move all of that beach tourism moved about 10 minutes up the road to another beach. So you've got this weird thing now where the old beach area has all the resorts and all of the restaurants, but there's no beach. And the new beach area is still super local, but it's getting flooded with tourists because that's where they take you now. Yeah. Um, You also, I also have noticed it, like, and this is what I was going to say about Tulum. Like, Tulum isn't, I mean, it's definitely busy and I'm sure it's busier in the higher seasons. I normally go in the lower seasons, um, Uh like the end of the rainy season. Um, But... Like, even walking from... And I like to stay in the Old Town, not in the beach strip that has all the resorts. Yeah. But there's this long, like, pedestrian and bike path that walk, goes that connects, um, like, the Old Town area to the beach area. And everyone mm-hmm. rides bikes, you know, rents and rides bikes to the beach. And there's, like, graffiti on the sidewalks that say like tourists go home go away oh wow so that's that that's that animosity for me yeah you definitely have that um because tulum has just become this like almost like hipster yogi um it's a lot of like yoga resorts a lot of like tiki new age art studios um boutique shops a lot of like apparently like brooklyn people have treated like expats have moved there to open shops there and stuff but like it's not the same town it used to be and obviously it's super expensive to go there now it's like a big wedding destination it's a big instagram influencer destination now um and so a lot of locals can't afford to live in the old town anymore and they've all been pushed out of it and there's not a lot of development outside of 
like proper development outside of the old town. So, so like when you get pushed out, you have feeling. to be like, you know, in a not nice area or house sort of thing. And so there's a lot of, um, you'll see a lot of graffiti in Tulum that's like, go away, go home. We don't want you here. Well, and I imagine the disparity between like the amount of money the locals have and the amount of money these tourists are bringing in is also only going to make things worse. Um, I don't know about Tulum specifically, but I do know like a lot of places where tourism is big, but the local population is not necessarily the chief stakeholder in that. Yeah. Uh, it leads to a spike in crime. It's usually petty crime, you know, thefts and, and purse snatching in places like Phnom Penh. Uh, but it can lead to violent crime if that level of animosity keeps growing. If if they see these entitled, comparatively wealthy people drinking and sleeping with local women and partying while they're struggling to make ends meet, it can really form into this really animosity dislike. Yeah, yeah, it can be really bad. And you see it in places like Phuket in Thailand to a certain extent, yeah. where there's this cashed up, drunk, rowdy element coming from another country and, you know, there's money to be made there. So, I mean, there's a lot of people working in bars, working in the sex trafic, uh, sex, not tra- sex traffic, <laughs> in the sex trade. Um, and that obviously only makes things, you know, more frustrating because yeah. there's people who look down on that. There's people who feel like they're being taken advantage of. And it can lead to all kinds of, you know, issues and violence. Yeah. It's really, I mean, it kind of almost a little bit, it reminds me of our episode of like how not to be an asshole. And like, oh, definitely. Yeah. <laughs> when you go to like these really like touristy destinations and if you're just going there to like drink and party and are like not showing any respect to the place that you're visiting and the fact that this is someone's home, mm-hmm. like, of course, it's going to cause um, animosity and like a, a, a tension between the locals and the tourists. Yeah. It 100% ties into that because the places that get to that level of popularity inevitably like... Any destination that starts to be big starts, obviously, it starts relatively small, you know. You get, like, the intrepid kind of adventurous folk who go there, uh, the ones who might be Instagram influencers or just adventurous. And they go there and they say good things and then it gets word of mouth. And as a place becomes more acceptable as a tourist destination, obviously, the kind of person who goes there, that, that demographic broadens from adventurous to you know families and it goes all the way up and then you get places where it becomes a party destination and that attracts those poorly behaved travelers that we've we talked about in the past the but it's the cancuns and stuff but it's also not even i don't even think it's just the partiers as well i think there's a lot that comes with money and entitlement too because i think also like you said the adventures the people that kind of put these places on the map and who catches wind of like this is going to be the next big destination are people like discount airlines and cruise ships who then Mm -hmm. are like oh this is going to be the next place let's charge cheap flights cheap cruises to these places and then all of a sudden there's even easier access to get there um, and a more influx of people coming in and then sometimes those people who are either the budget people on the airlines or the people on the cruise like these you know kind of older maybe a more affluent people on like cruise ships and stuff who aren't actually even staying in these places they're staying on the cruise ship they come yeah. into the town and I was reading up on it and like how big cruises are that, that um, contributing to over tourism is because, you know, they've had to limit the number of cruise ships coming into certain places because a lot of the people, when they get off the boat, they don't actually spend that much money in each destination. They're spending oh, all right. of the money on the cruise ship. And when they come to town, they have like a few hours of the day or whatever to walk around and, you know, maybe they'll have some lunch or something like that. But for the most part, apparently, they're not spending that much money in each destination that they're visiting. And they save because they, they think there's a lot of stuff that's included on the cruise as well. So they're like, course, you know, they yeah. want to get their money's worth and they'll just save, save like the meal or the drinks or whatever till they get back on their ship. And so it's not actually contributing anything to these destinations. Except for probably crowding and, and like litter. Litter, say, crowding. Yeah. And it's, int- it's, you know, oh, you're here today, you're gone tomorrow. So you're not really, you know, showing it as much respect probably. Yeah. And it would be unfair to say that, that over tourism is strictly about, you know, drunk crowds because, uh, one pro- like big example recently is, uh, I don't know if you've heard this, there's been documentaries on it, but Paris has had this massive influx of, of big tour groups from China. And obviously they're not causing trouble by being drunk or rowdy, but what happens is, you know, there's just this influx of people who have a very, um, 
I guess you'd say Sino-centric. We say Eurocentric in the West, but they, they want it to be like China. They want it to be Paris, but they want to have Chinese food and buy Chinese yeah. products, which means instead of pouring money back into the local economy, it's pouring money back into Chinese-owned businesses. And it got so bad in Thailand that I think two years ago they enacted laws that meant large tour groups had to spend a certain percentage of their overall spend had to be done with local tour operators oh, wow. because it had got to the point it had got to the point that the the tour bus was chinese owned the hotels were chinese owned all the restaurants they went to were chinese owned so it literally was not contributing anything into the the local economy it was all going straight back to other chinese stakeholders um, and i don't want to single just china out because obviously we in the west were doing this 20 30 40 years ago mm-hmm. um but that's just one example of how certain destinations have been overtaxed with tourism that hasn't been violent or rowdy or exploitative, but it's 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 still annoyed people in another way. Yeah. Yeah, it's. I mean, that's completely understandable. Yeah, I mean, it's. There's a whole. I don't want to like get into the 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 like what's the word the academics of it, but I studied like my second bachelor's degree was in tourism management. And one thing we sort of explored was this idea of uh, it's like of how a destination can go from unknown to oversaturated, and then it gets to this breaking point where it either declines sharply, so yeah. the over tourism gets to the point that people don't want to go there because it's too touristy, yeah. or a destination has to reinvent itself to avoid collapsing under the weight of all that tourism. Yeah, uh, and a good example of that would be Vegas. Uh, obviously, Vegas is most famous for casinos and gambling. And it's still, you know, it's still very popular for that. I did my Bucks party there and for that partying, reason. Partying, yeah. <laughs> yeah, but weirdly, uh, the biggest uh, earner now in Vegas is conventions. Yeah. Uh, because you know they're bringing in hundreds of people, and they might gamble and and dine and party, Probably but that's thousands secondary. Of people. Yeah. Oh yeah. I mean, each one could be yeah up up to thousands. And obviously, they're still spending money on gambling and going to bars and clubs. Yeah. But the chief earner has become these massive conventions that need to book out blocks of hotel rooms. Yeah. So that's where Vegas, it could have kept doing what it's doing and only being a gambling destination, but it would have, it wouldn't, it wasn't going to be sustainable. Yeah. So it reinvented itself as a, I mean, firstly in the 80s as a family destination with a lot of family friendly places like Circus Circus, but then more recently as a conference destination, a convention destination so to speak yeah i mean when you go going back to that um like bubble thing um obviously i lived in split like six years ago when you know the game of thrones thing was kind of just getting started but it hadn't really taken off yet and people didn't really realize that croatia was where it was filmed part of where it was filmed um but I when I it was beautiful and no one really knew about I remember when I was like got the job offer to move to Croatia I was like I know nothing about Croatia and my mom was like (laughs) are you sure it's safe like (laughs) she was all concerned um and then I just like googled it and looked up pictures and I was like hell yes I'm moving here look at how beautiful this place is (laughs) um and I went and like it 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 was like somewhat touristy um I think Mm -hmm. with especially a lot of Australians and Brits um, who kind of, I think we're getting fed up with the price of going to Italy and Greece. It's kind of, you know, in between and very similar. And so there still was tourism there, but it was still very, very cheap. Um, there's still a lot of locals around. There's a lot of markets. And then I left and went back and lived there. Um, mm-hmm. like I guess a couple years later to visit and, yeah. It was a whole new place. Like I was like literally in like the two years I've been away, I think it must have quadrupled the number number of people that were there, the number of people that were walking down the Riva, like the promenade on the waterfront, Mm -hmm. Um, the number of like new bars and restaurants that had popped up, new clubs that have popped up like right in the old town that are just blasting like house music. Because that's oh what, like, all of these <laughs> backpackers the and tourists and stuff want because they're going there to party. And they're going there as, like, a stopover destination to Havar, which Havar is a huge party place in Croatia, island, just uh-huh. off of Split. And um, it was just insane. Like, I couldn't believe how... And then all of a sudden, like, every day there was a different cruise ship docking. And you would really feel that, like, me just walking to my house um, home from work and stuff like that. And just all of these people... And, like... The old town of Croatia, I mean, Split is a former palace that has turned into like all of these homes and restaurants and stuff, but it's just a bunch of little alleyways. Uh And so 
you're walking through and they're just filled with people. And I would get so frustrated trying to walk home. And I know I'm not a lo- <laughs> like, I know that I wasn't like a Croatian that a local, had grown up there right. and lived there, but I was someone that was living there and I could relate to like understanding how frustrated the people that actually are from split and grew up in split probably feel with all of these tourists coming in. And, yeah. and these people are so rude. Like they're so loud. I lived in the old town and I rented an apartment to a local woman. So like, you know, I felt like I was contributing, but the like people so drunk running through the square and that part, I definitely like can be blamed for because I worked for a pub crawl. So it wasn't like I was (laughs) helping that situation, but people (laughs) that you meet on it, like, I mean, I've been on, I've worked pub crawls. I've been on them. Like I was always Mm -hmm. still very respectful to like being quiet. I'm someone that's like very quiet when I go home. I don't want to wake people up. Like I'm concerned for other people's, you know, like respecting other people's like sleep and peace and stuff. And like, you just get people that just don't give a fuck. And they're singing really loudly at the top of their lungs at two in the morning. And I used to snap at people on the pub crawl. Like, I don't fucking care if you're here to have a good time. And I'm like the person that's supposed to help you do that. I used to snap at people and be like, shut the fuck up. Like there are (laughs) people that live here that are sleeping in this apartment right above where you're singing, like have some fucking respect. And so I understand the frustrations and like, even going back this trip, Um, I was talking to my friend. Is it it worse now? Tristan. Well, I was talking to my friend Tristan and I haven't been in three years. And so, and you know, Game of Thrones like ended and has kind of reached its, like when I was there before, there was all of these like Game of Thrones themed bars and restaurants and tour companies, like five different Game of Thrones tour companies had popped up. And um, this time when I went back, I didn't see like any Game of Thrones stuff. Um, And there wasn't as many people, but there's still a lot. But I was talking to my friend Tristan about it and he's lived there now for five or six years. And he's like, he's like, I think split just like the bubbles finally burst because it kept it growing, does. kept it going, kept happen. growing. And then the prices kept going up, 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 up. And he's like, they've seriously priced themselves like too high for tourists to even want to come here anymore. Yeah. And, yeah. I mean, and that can definitely happen and it might even be intentional. Well, yeah, that's what I was going to say. I was like, it could be a they're trying to take advantage as much as they can until it bursts and then no one comes anymore but also intentional to try and like limit the people coming to only people that can really afford it yeah i mean a more drastic example of that is uh boracay is like the number one beach island in the philippines so it's it's like resorts and bars and massage parlors. It's it's a purely a place for people to go and have a good time. Yeah. Uh, but it had become so overcrowded that it was having a negative impact to the point that the beaches were had like issues with blue green algae. Uh, you know, you're getting garbage washing up. It was just it the, it wasn't sustainable. Uh, and this was controversial at the time. But the government of the Philippines closed the island for six months. Uh, so that meant that 400 businesses closed. Just closed 36, the whole 000- island. Just like yeah, thirty six thousand people lost their jobs. Holy shit! Uh, like it was a big. It was uh, now. I'm not saying this was the right thing to do, but that six months gave them time to weed out some of the less uh, savory elements. So they closed a few illegal casinos, for example. Yeah. But they did a massive cleanup of the beaches, both the water and the sand. And when they reopened, uh, there was kind of this view towards being sustainable. I don't know how long it'll last because developing countries, you know, it's hard for people. It's hard to make that stand as a developing country when you need what money you can get in. It's, yeah. you know, it's easy for the US or Australia to say, we're going to close the Great Barrier Reef. And yes, it's a hit to our economy, but we can afford it because we have mining yeah. or farming. But for a place like the Philippines, where tourism is such a big part of their industry, it's a tight, like it's a tightrope they have to walk between. They need that money, but they don't want to take that money now and not have anything. They don't want to be, you know, this place that people use as a cautionary tale in 20 years yeah. because it was ruined by over tourism so i think they did the right thing um it obviously hurt a lot of people in the short term but hopefully in the long term you know the fact that they were willing to do that will actually save Boracay from becoming this gross cesspool which is what the president had labeled it at the time yeah i mean it also like so i know we're talking a lot about what causes it and the effects of it and stuff are but i think the most important thing that we have to discuss is like how do we then change it as tourists because obviously people that are listening to this and me and you like we travel a lot yeah and so i think it's important like at this point like what so what do we do to change what do we do to be better so that shit like that doesn't happen so that people don't have to close down their their cities and lose their jobs to repair the damage that we do as tourists 
And, I, and, I, and yeah, it's not a simple answer of just don't go there. Yeah. Obviously, there are places where I'm not that keen to go because of overcrowding. Like yeah. uh, the Bataling, the Great Wall section closest to Beijing, is awful. It's so crowded you can barely stand. Uh, so I would never go there. Uh, but then that doesn't mean I don't want to ever see Tulum or Split yeah. or the Gold Coast, you know, because these places are crowded too. Yeah. Um, I think it's not as simple as just, no, I'm not going there and giving them my money. Absolutely. Because uh, if everyone makes that decision, then you're just hurting the people who who uh, rely on that income. Yeah. Um, it's just about spending your money responsibly and doing so in a way that, that benefits the people who need it and not these massive... Uh, you know, chains of hotels that inevitably crop up on the outskirts of uh, whatever the new hot destination is. Yeah, I think it's definitely important. Like, well, first of all, not say never go anywhere, but I think if you are going to go somewhere, I think it's important to not go at peak season. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, and then also that's better for you financially, like as a, whoever's listening to this. Um, <laughs> but um, like... You know, if you're if you're going mid season, and I know it's hard. Like the whole reason peak season is peak season because that's when it's like break from school, and that's when everyone's on mm. a holiday. But trying to find time, you know, in the mid season, so at the start or the end of the season, where it's still beautiful weather, but it's a lot quieter around. Um, so a for you is a benefit. There's not going to be as crowded. Um, accommodations get definitely going to be a lot cheaper. Flights will probably even be cheaper. And the locals will love you though because yeah, and they'll be so happy. Bad for them. Yeah, they'll be yeah. so happy to have you. And honestly, you'll get a more authentic experience. You'll get a better experience when the locals are happy to see you. They have time to, you know, even going to a restaurant and it's not super busy, high season, crowded. Like they're just running around making sure everyone gets their food. But if you're there when mm-hmm. it's quiet and you're one of the only people, like they're going to stand there and talk to you and share oh, yeah. stories with you and probably bring you out some shots of rakia And like, they're going to make it a whole better experience. I was going to say a really good example of this is we talked about safaris a few weeks ago, but the rainy season in, in East Africa is April and May. And at that time of year, not only obviously is, is it less crowded, so you're not competing, but a lot of these luxury lodges, like the ones that might be $750 per person yeah. per night, they need people. So they bring their rates down to 400 per person per night. So it's still obviously expensive, yeah. but you can have a, a safari that might cost you 15000 in peak season for 7000 in yeah. low season. So it's still, you know, there's a huge benefit for you if you're willing to put up with the afternoon showers. Because a lot of places that are seasonal like this, yeah. it's, it's weather-based. Yeah. Uh, but that doesn't necessarily mean it's it's inhospitable. No. It's not like it becomes unlivable. It's just less you know less picturesque. Your Instagram photos aren't going to be quite as as shiny. But that's why God invented Photoshop, guys. <laughs> like, <laughs> um, um, I definitely agree though. Yeah, visiting during low season and and even if you do go during peak season because that's when your holiday is, what Kate just said is perfectly like the right thing to do. Find a local restaurant. Avoid yeah. the one that has that massive line because fucking. Uh, What's his name? That cook that everyone loves. Anthony uh, Bourdain? Yeah, no. Oh, yo, him. I mean, Anthony Bourdain's lovely. Yeah, I, was uh, like, lovely. I was like, you're about to talk shit about Anthony Bourdain. We're going to have issues. No, but I mean, <laughs> to a certain extent, though, like he he was great in putting places on the map. Yeah. But here in Hoi An, he visited a banh mi place. Yeah. Now, banh mi, fantastic food. But now the lines out the front of that one banh mi place are colossal. Yeah. And it's, it's a good banh mi place. I've eaten there. It's not the best banh mi place in Hoi An. Uh, and it definitely doesn't deserve to have all of the business. Yeah. So, I mean, you see that line, you might be like, I want to go here because Anthony Bourdain was a hero of mine. But go to that local place that has a bunch of locals eating in it because they're going to appreciate your business a lot more. Uh, and you're still and you're going to get an authentic experience instead of one that's inevitably being tweaked and changed because fame yeah. inevitably changes things. Yeah, definitely. Um, but then also, if you are going in peak season as well and you did mention eating at local restaurants... Also, I think it's really important to where you stay. Like, I understand mm-hmm. some people like to stay in resorts and stuff like that and have the, like, really luxury experience. But I think you can find that in even boutique, smaller places. I know that oh, yeah. when I went to Tulum for my mom's 50th, they stayed, um, you know, they could have stayed in one of the big resorts out on the beach. And I mm-hmm. think they did, like, the last couple nights because they wanted to be on the beach. But the first, like, five nights that we were there, we stayed in this really tiny, adorable, like, very family-owned boutique hotel. And it was luxurious. It was beautiful. It had a pool, an outside bar. Like, it was a really well-made place, but it's family-owned. Like, it's the money yeah. that we're spending at this bar, uh, at this 
well, the bar at the pool, but also at the hotel. <laughs> we know what your priorities are. <laughs> we're going <were>. to, <laughs> we're going to actually, you know, the proper, like we're going back to Tulum because they were going back it to the family. It wasn't that, yeah. going to, you know, a, like even if this resort is called something and it's the only resort at this kind, it's probably owned by a hotel company. Oh, if you do your research, you'll find that nearly every like resort or hotel is owned by some big hotel chain somewhere else. Yeah, which means that the um, money that you're spending to stay at this resort is not going back to, you know, contributing back to Tulum and the tourism there or wherever you are, whatever tourist destination you're in. It's just going back to this big business that is probably based. Yeah, and shareholders based in, yeah. in the US or Australia or Europe. Yeah, yeah. Uh, definitely. Like here in Hoi An, there's a lot of locally owned B&Bs. Uh, and some of them end up being chains. Like I toured one the other day that there's, there's this woman owns four uh, like villa hotels here in Hoi An, yeah. but she's local. She grew up here. She came up through like through basically she worked as a smuggler to make her money, which I found <laughs> fascinating. She was literally not illegally, but like she she worked on an airline, so she would get people landing in Saigon to buy gold, and then she would sell it for a small profit in Hanoi. And she just did that for years to slowly build up her nest egg. So it wasn't illegal, but it was kind of shady because uh, obviously their job wasn't wasn't um, wasn't supposed to be carrying gold for some stranger. It yeah. was supposed to be, you know, attending to people's needs on an airline. But yeah, so she built herself up from nothing. So I'd much rather stay with her than stay in, you know, the Hilton or the Four Seasons here. Not because those aren't lovely properties, I'm sure. But none of that money, except for that little pittance that they pay their their wait staff and their maids, is going back to anyone here who needs it. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so yes, yeah, staying local, eating local, drinking local. I mean, within yeah. reason, there's obviously uh, a certain level of, you know, some people have a local watering hole because they don't want tourists yeah. to go in there. Um, but I mean, if you've got sort of any sort of savvy, you should be able to tell. If you walk into a bar and no one seems super happy to see you, it's probably a better idea to just sort of nod and, and go out. Yeah. <laughs> like... Don't make yourself obnoxious. Yeah. Don't don't force your yourself on them. Let let, let locals have their own thing yeah. because sometimes they need a break from tourists. Yeah. And I think also one last thing is like I understand wanting to go and see these places that you've heard so much about, like these bigger cities or even like smaller cities that are popular or islands or whatever that are popular. But I think it's mm -hmm. also really important to like see what's around there that may not be completely on the map yet. Yeah, so like, for sure. When I just went, you know, I just went to Croatia and went to Split. Could have gone to Havar if I wanted to, but that is so over touristy now. I didn't want to be around a bunch of tourists, and so I know of this little island called Muter. Um, we rented a house there. There's still like vacation homes there because it it can be a somewhat tourist place to go, um, but there's only like, you know, one tiny little square and like a few bars and restaurants around the square but it's beautiful beaches there's not a lot of people around it's mostly Croat other croatians that are tourists there and it was so relaxing and beautiful and to not be around a bunch of drunk <laughs> backpackers and old rich white people and house yeah. music until three in the morning right on the water <laughs> um, exactly i mean i would i would never say to someone don't go and see the the pyramids yeah. don't go and see the great wall don't go and see tokyo don't go see the eiffel tower just, yeah like you shouldn't have to punish yourself yeah. because other people have ruined something but yeah doing that is like such a good good way to still experience the thing you wanted but to give back by just going a little further afield like go to beijing see the forbidden city see the great wall but then go to one of the Great Wall sections that's miles away where it's locals manning the ladder that gets you under the wall. Yeah. Or, you know, go eat at a restaurant that uh, that you see Chinese people eating at rather than the one that TripAdvisor says is number seven in the area. Yeah. You're and honestly, uh, it can be that simple. You're going to have a lot better experience. You're going to have a lot better stories to take home with you. And yeah. it's going to be a lot more authentic. And I don't want to throw this throw them under the bus, but I'm going to do it. Like those <laughs> those those package tours where it's like you know seven thousand dollars and it includes your flights yeah. and they bus you everywhere you go. I can like barring a few that probably make that extra effort. A lot of them, that, none of that money is helping the local economy. Like they probably got you staying in a chain hotel. They've probably picked out restaurants that that are very safe. You know, so you're not going to have to run the risk of eating anything too dodgy. But it's probably not a locally owned and operated business. It's probably got a foreign investor. Uh, and I mean, I've my parents go on these tours sometimes. Yeah. So I, it's not like I'm saying people who do it are bad people. I love my parents. <laughs> but you do I that hope. tour. 
Yeah. <laughs> uh, I hope they're listening so they know that. <laughs> I don't tell them often enough. Um, but no, I'm just like, those group tours, I mean, I get that they're safe and it takes a lot of the planning out of your hands, which is good. Uh, but just do your research because a lot of those are playing right into the problem. They're, they're only going to the touristy places. They're only putting money into the pockets of, of outside interests. And generally speaking, you know, you're not going to get any sort of authenticity out of those. Yeah. And I think touching on that, like, I agree. And then also, and I don't want to throw, you know, backpackers under the bus because I think the younger generations, as we're getting older, we're the ones that are starting to be more aware of our environment um, and sustainability. And, you know, we want to keep the world around, like climate change, all that stuff. Like, we're aware of our effects, a lot more aware of our effects on the world than maybe Not older like gen- fucking baby boomers. Yeah, than our old, than the older <laughs> generations may have been. And you know what? They probably didn't have all the information either um, and as much science and stuff contributing to it. But mm-hmm. I think, like, yeah, there's you know, drunk backpackers and we all have our moments, but I think the younger generations are a little bit better about wanting to be re- more responsible I when traveling. So. And, def- and, and they so, wanting that authenticity too. Yeah, and so I think there are, like, I know you mentioned the tour buses and I agree with you, but I think also the ones that are geared towards, like, I have some friends that used to work for a couple of the ones um, in Europe that do the, like, you know, mm-hmm. 30-day bus trip around Europe, um, which we can get into those a whole nother time um, because I love them and I also hate them <laughs> for different reasons. <laughs> but um, I know that those go to a lot of, like, they they make it a point to really try and give their customers a really authentic experience. And so a lot of times they're staying in hostels and not exactly the chain hostels, but the good um, smaller ones. And they go to a lot of like hidden restaurants and stuff like that. Um, yeah. And that's, which is why I said like doing your research yeah. is so important because like, they exist. I mean, I work for a company that arranges tours to Tanzania uh, and the reason I feel comfortable, you know, recommending us is because I go out of my way to not put people in, the chain hotels i don't sell a lot of four seasons or a lot of uh sheraton because i don't think that's that's you know the right thing to do and i don't think it's the best experience you can have absolutely absolutely yeah and like i think that they do that as well because they know that like we as a younger generation i feel want to have a more authentic experience we don't want to go like i feel like the older generations maybe care more about uh, comfortability when abroad mm-hmm. whereas yep. I feel like the younger generations we want to be pushed out of our comfort zone more. yeah it's almost a mark of honor to have had to sleep in a horrible hostel <laughs> or you know have a, a terrible overnight bus experience like I used to feel bad like I used to feel left out when people were exchanging their backpacking you know rough night sort of stories yeah. and I couldn't contribute one I'm like oh uh, I stayed in a really dirty hotel once like it was only <laughs> once I'd had those 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 they're, they're not fun experiences in the moment but they're like life affirming yeah you know? they teach you something about yourself and i think more and more people want to have that whereas that older generation a lot of them they're like i did i had that unpleasant experience when i was 20 why would i want to have it now yeah. that i'm 50 in a strange country yeah exactly and i think that is the difference between those tour companies <coughs> that are you know older generation geared towards older generations versus the ones towards the younger ones because they know their audience and you're seeing a lot of like little boutique operators, like even people who they went to a country and they loved it and they go home and they start up this little, you know, they set up a website, they start up a Facebook page and they start selling tours. Mm-hmm. And that's, the, I think that's beautiful. People who do it out of a love for the destination yeah. uh, rather than a cynical desire to make a lot of money. They're like, I really want more people to go to Uganda yeah. or An experience, Slovenia. Have the same experience that I did. Yeah, and that that sort of those sort of tours I think are great because often they're actually led by the person who runs the company. Like they book the tour and then they come with you and they're sharing their love for the place and they're taking you to the the little hole in the wall that they found on their first trip there. That kind of organized tour I am a hundred percent behind. It's just those big, you know, mass produced ones you usually find for sale on like Groupon mm-hmm. or whatever. Though, and I mean, I'm not saying you're a bad person <laughs> if you do it. I'm just you're not going to get the same experience and you're sort of part of the problem i don't want to throw you under the bus but you're part of the problem if you're buying your shit on groupon it's probably not sustainable <laughs> yeah groupon's not 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 known for its boutique selection yeah it's, it's all mass market <laughs> shit on there oh, i did my i did my tefl i did my tefl on groupon and i can attest to it not being a very good uh teaching english as a foreign language certification yeah that's i think i mean do you have much I think, yeah. else to i think no we... i think i mean 
it's a it's a dense topic and it's obviously one that's going to spot like you know some people are going to get defensive or some people are going to have different opinions on it so i'm i'm really excited to see what people have to say like how do you think you can you know help avoid that problem or what places do you think uh have been kind of spoiled because of over tourism which ones uh have done a good job of reinventing themselves or fixing the problem yeah i think that's another thing like that's one last thing that i that i didn't bring up that i wanted to is like how which you kind of brought up with the island closing itself um, in the Philippines. Oh, yeah. But, like, there are... I know there's a lot of cities in, like, Barcelona or, like, even, like, um, like Cinque Terre in Italy. Mm-hmm. Um, they've, like, limited the number of uh, visitors that are allowed to come into Cinque Terre every day. So they've installed, yeah. like, devices to cap the number of visitors. And then, like, Machu Picchu, you have to, um, you know, get permits. And there's, like, a limited number of permits to visit Machu uh, Picchu every day. And you mentioned, before we went on air, you mentioned Rwanda, mm-hmm. uh, where guerrilla trekking has always been capped at a certain number. I think it's 80 per day who can get into the park. Mm-hmm. Uh, but they, two years ago, they put their prices up as well, from 600 per person for the trekking permit to 1,500 per person. Uh, and obviously, and that's obviously had a marked effect on how crowded the park was getting, which has only been good for the, the mountain gorillas who they're used to people, but that doesn't necessarily mean that they want to have people around them every day of the week, of course. 365 days a year. I don't want people around um, me every day of the week. I don't even want people around me like one day <laughs> of the week sometimes. Sometimes I just need a week to myself. <laughs> uh, but yeah, there is obviously, it doesn't have to be all or nothing. You don't have, a city doesn't have to close its doors. It can be as simple as putting a cap on how many new developments are allowed in a given year or, like you said, capping how many people are allowed within a certain, uh, you know, tourist area within a city. Yeah, and Um, I think it can be frustrating as a traveler to be like, well, fuck, they only give 200 permits. Like, what are my chances I'm actually going to get one and go to see this place? But also when you do get one or if you do get one, like it makes the experience so much better when you're there. Because there's only 200 people over that whole entire day (laughs) that are entering that place. Then, you know, 1,500 people. And yeah, like you said, shoulder to shoulder, you have 12, you know, 12 people in your photo that you're trying to take of this beautiful, you know, view or something, you know? Yeah, it's a ballsy move that destinations have to make, though, because obviously by limiting the number of people they're letting in, it's limiting the amount of money they can generate. Like, I wish that Angkor Wat in Cambodia had a limit like that, because you get there at 5 a.m., and it's impossible to get a photo because everyone is there. Yeah. Uh, now, like, obviously, I'm not saying, you know, deprive people of that chance, but it would definitely make for a more pleasant experience and it would probably be better for the temples that people are climbing all over yeah. if there weren't 5,000 people a day just flooding in. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and here in Hoi An, like, buses are a big problem at the moment, like, just massive busloads of tourists coming from, from the next city over. Uh, it's you know there's nowhere for them to park here because it's an old town so it's very it's historic narrow streets uh, so people are getting run off the road by buses they're not being able to get to, into a restaurant because there's a bus blocking the entrance Jesus. Um, so I mean that's one where I'm just like I wish to God they like either made them park out of town or limited the number of tour groups per day that could could come in yeah um, but that's a decision they're gonna have to make themselves and I wouldn't want to force that on them because that's you know that's that's money they need to make and it's they know better than I do what their city can sustain, I hope. <laughs> Hopefully, <laughs> If yeah. they don't, that's a problem. But yeah, you hope that there are brighter minds than ours Absolutely. running these things. But then you do see places where obviously it's all about money and that's why shit goes downhill. Yeah. I mean, I think it's, I think it's important to, you know, just when you're booking a trip, just cons- take all of these things into consideration. Um, I understand really wanting to see a place, but... Maybe when it's like the number one destination of the year, you know, maybe wait and visit a couple years from now and pick somewhere else. Yeah, it'll else cool that's... off inevitably. No one, yeah, no one stays on top forever. No, absolutely not. Um, it was, it was, it was nice going to Split. There's still a lot of tourism and a lot of freaking big ass bars and clubs and stuff that have popped up. And but I think the bubble has definitely burst. I noticed a lot less people than I was than I noticed the last few years that I was there. Um, so I think they're coming down off the curve, which means the next couple of years, it'll be a nicer place to visit. Yeah. I mean, there's one thing we haven't touched on, which I kind of wanted really yeah. quickly is that the places that do reach that saturation point and aren't able to sustain it. If you, if you've ever visited one, it's, it's really depressing. Um, I visited, there's a prefecture in Japan, Mia prefecture, and it's gorgeous. And 
prior to international travel being super accessible, it was a very popular like beach destination with local Japanese tourists. Mm -hmm. But as it's been become more and more easy to just fly to Bali or Vietnam for the for the week, you know, that has just died off. So when I hiked the Kamano Kodo, which is this gorgeous pilgrimage similar to the Camino, mm -hmm. um, the beaches were just lined with abandoned restaurants and resorts because there was like it had that time in the sun yeah. and it's just nosedived. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, it, it could be a case that yeah, you wait and you wait for the the hype to die down and you experience it and it's still good. But there's also that chance that a place sometimes they can't recover. Like sometimes being over touristed leads to such a bad reputation or such a negative impact on the locals that it can kill the industry altogether. Yeah. And that's a in a lot of ways that's even worse than being like oh I'm so annoyed at how crowded it is. It's like you don't even know this place exists anymore because it's it's it was so over touristed that it just crumbled. Yeah, yeah. I mean that's a it's a bit of a downer. Yeah. But wow, um, thanks, Chris. <laughs> yeah, well, but I just I, I mean like we talk about how inconvenient it is for us as tourists to be in a crowded place, yeah. but there is a worse side for locals, which is yeah, it can be annoying when when everyone's there, but at least they're making money while everyone's there. Yeah, but it's not it, always that they're gets, making money. Well, it's not. I mean, but someone is. Yeah. But then it can be a case where a place relies on tourism and then loses it. And then it's, it's you know, the economy doesn't recover. People can't just pick up and start farming again when a whole generation's never done it. Well, and I think, um, I think that then comes back to if we start being responsible now with our tourism and not, and kind of, if you spread it out instead of overcrowding one place and there's just more yes. of an even rise maybe where it's maintainable mm -hmm. and they can, you know, grow with it instead of having it reach, you know, this crazy max capacity before the city or the infrastructure is even ready for it. Cause I feel like yeah. that's when that happens. Definitely. No, I think whereas, and it's, it's really on the destination. Like uh, we can preach responsibility, but at the end of the day, the destination has the power to make that call. Yeah. Um, and I think it's more likely that a destination can handle it than individuals all deciding with some sort of hive mind that they're all going to not go because they don't want to ruin the place. Yeah. But if you so, do yeah, go it's... somewhere, I think, you know, try to stay in more local places um, mm -hmm. as far as accommodation and stuff. Eat at local bars, eat at local restaurants. Um, try to go outside of the peak season. Even just things like booking walking tours through like a local. Absolutely. You know, have a local do a, do a locally run food tour or a locally run homestay or cooking class. Things like that give so much back yeah. and they're going to give you a lot as well. Absolutely. And then also, you know, abs absolutely go and see these places. But then if you have the time, like go stay somewhere, you know, like a smaller town or village or whatever outside of this. And then you'll have... I think a better experience without all the tourists around and mm -hmm. more authentic experience of actually getting to like see what that country is really like or what that area is very is really like i concur yeah. wholeheartedly here here i mean this is a heavy topic <laughs> over tourism is something that is very very relevant and i think it's important to be informed on an informed traveler is a good traveler <laughs> yeah i mean there's and it's not it's not a topic i wanted to take too lightly because it's it's a big issue like it, places getting over touristed and and not being able to handle it and not just from a, a local cultural standpoint but also in terms of like how it affects the environment we didn't touch on it to a great extent but obviously over tourism means cutting down more forest means destroying more habitat more uh, and that and then pollution. more pollution yeah yeah so i mean there's no good side to over tourism, you know. There's there's probably a couple of wealthy uh, property owners who've never been to the place, like they're happy. But the majority of people, animals, and everything in between yeah. are not benefiting from a place getting overcrowded. Yeah. So, just all about being aware so, and making good decisions when it comes to planning your trips. <laughs> yeah. And I think I think that's that's enough of that very heavy topic. Yeah. I think uh, if if you're not depressed yet, just remember if you're feeling a little down. I am only wearing a towel yeah. right now, so that let that Chris let that lift naked. your spirits <laughs> <laughs> or terrify you. Which depending, yeah. I mean, it's just you know <laughs> terrified me when you told me. <laughs> <laughs> but it's I so know hot. you personally, so it's just a little odd that's that you're true, talking yeah. to me oh, naked. You, oh, you pictured it, you deviant. Oh. <laughs> That's not appropriate, Kate. Oh, God. <laughs> uh, so I guess, yeah, if you've got thoughts on today's episode, if you agree with something, disagree, you have a story of your own or you have suggestions on how people can 
help to avoid over tourism ruining a place uh you know let us know uh on twitter at cwb podcast yeah instagram at comes with baggage pod facebook it comes with baggage podcast you can email us uh either individually at uh caitlin or chris at comes with baggage podcast.com tweet us instagram <laughs> us facebook message us dm us do all of the things follow us on the socials we post a lot of, well I know I was on vacation, I wasn't posting much, but now that I'm back, I usually post a lot on our Instagram stories with fun polls and questions. I've noticed, I I always check our Instagram stories. Yeah, polls and questions for you guys to answer. Um, It's really fun for us to see, you know, sometimes me and Chris will disagree on stuff and it's fun to put it up there and see where you guys stand and if I'm right. (laughs) Um, I think that's about it for today. Yes, I think I think we've done a I think we've done a pretty good job. I know you've got a big day ahead of you, and I have clothes to put on. So I think we should um, wrap this up. We should call it a, call it a day, and we'll uh, see, see you next, next Tuesday. Tuesday.